All right. This is where I uh, dig through my windows and uh, find my opening spiel. This is the 30th episode. You'd think I'd know this off by heart by now, but that is not the case. Welcome to First Fuel, a podcast bringing you perspectives on the role of energy efficiency, energy management, demand response, and the energy transition taking place in Australia and around the world. I'm Luke Menzel, CEO of the Energy Efficiency Council, and this week I'm joined by two guests. First up, we have Kelly Court, Senior Advisor of Climate and Energy at ACOS. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks, Luke. Lovely to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Thank you, uh, Kelly. And we also have Nick Abell, Campaigns Manager at Environment Victoria. Welcome, Nick. Hey, Luke. How are you doing? All right. There'll be no one listening, at least here in Australia, that is surprised by why I've brought the two of you together. It is to reflect on the, the big announcements out of Victoria this week. I'll, I'll give everyone the, the, the dot points because they're quite significant. A $797 million package, including $335 million to replace old wood electric and gas fire heaters with new energy efficient systems. And the estimate is that that Uh, impact 250,000 homes in Victoria, 112 million to upgrade the energy efficiency of 35,000 social homes, including public and community housing, 14 million for appliance upgrades under the Victorian Energy Upgrades Program, new minimum energy efficiency standards for rental homes to ensure they are fit for habitation, and those rental standards are slated to be in place by 2022. And of course, these measures complement last week's big announcement around $5 billion for 12,000 new public houses to be built in Victoria, and there was an energy efficiency component to that too because they need to have a NATHERS rating of at least seven stars. So for our, our international listeners, I know we do have a few of those. I just want to give some context. This is a, a massive investment in an Australian context and, and certainly the largest single commitment to an energy efficiency package from any state in Australian history. So we'll dig into all that detail, but before we do, I thought I might just start with getting your initial reactions, and I might start with you, Kelly. What, what, what did you think, or, or, or how did you feel when you when you heard what was announced by uh, Minister Lily D'Ambrosio uh, on Tuesday morning? Yeah, it was pretty exciting, and for us, it really epitomises what governments should be doing as we stimulate our economy to build back better as we're coming out of this, this COVID crisis. Mm. Um, you know, the, the major investment that they've put in, and you mentioned the social housing as well as the energy efficiency, mm. is really putting people at risk front and centre of the recovery, mm. which is, you know, what ACOS and our members and, and others, not just the social sector, but also the business sector as well, have been calling for that we need to be doing that, mm. as well as tackling some of the other bigger, biggest challenges as well, like um, cutting emissions to address climate change. So, yeah, we were really pleased to see this announcement and we're really keen to see how... Um, other state and territory governments, but in particular how the federal government can can co-invest and really deepen um, this investment and expand it nationally. And I'm happy to talk a little bit more about that later. Mm, yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a degree to which perhaps we can start thinking uh, about this as a as a template for action in, in other parts of the country, and indeed one that could be scaled up uh, with the co investment from the from the federal government. And you make a fantastic point, Kelly, that um, uh, a lot of the advocacy uh, 
uh, you and your partners have been doing, and I, I guess we've all been doing um, uh, across the broader group of stakeholders that have been talking to government about the role of energy efficiency stimulus has, has made the point that uh, at a time of economic challenge, um, supporting uh, the most vulnerable in our community with energy efficiency upgrades kind of gives you that that triple or quadruple dividend of, okay, we're creating good local jobs, we're uh, supporting those households to upgrade the energy performance so they're, they're, they're comfortable, they're more healthy, but importantly, in a, in a, in a difficult economy, they're, they're not spending more than they need to on, on energy bills, um, particularly when we're constantly at risk of spending much more time at home uh, than we need to. And that's before you even, even get on to, um, you know, the resilience piece, the, the carbon piece, um, it's hardworking stimulus, right? Yeah. Well, the, I mean, the beauty of this package is, you know, it's not just a one-off, we'll give households $100. Mm. This, these measures will make a sustained difference over the long term. So people will be making bill savings and improving their health and well-being mm. for years to come. Mm. So it's really smart investment in that respect. And, you know, energy efficiency is just so job rich as well. So, you know, we know that it's going to create a lot of jobs and again, sustainable jobs because not just Victoria, but all state and federal uh, state and territory governments have committed to a trajectory for buildings to get to zero carbon. So we're really developing the skills of the future to be able to achieve that longer term goal. All right, Nick. Well, I, I now want to take you back to uh, to Tuesday and um, and your initial reaction. Um, uh, were you surprised by the by the scale of the announcement of, of what came out of Victoria um, and uh, from Minister D'Ambrosio on on the podium on Tuesday morning? Yeah, look, I was surprised. Um, I mean, as Kelly said, and and as probably most of the, the listeners here will know that you know there's been plenty of, of evidence and a, a breadth of voices calling for energy efficiency both here in Australia but also internationally in terms of just how valuable and effective it is mm. as economic stimulus. We also know just you know outside of a COVID pandemic situation, we all we all have known just how important energy efficiency can be from a household you know, microeconomic perspective, from mm. a climate perspective, you know, you the energy, um, those flaming hippies at the International Energy Agency have <laughs> said, I think, you know, energy efficiency should be providing around 40% of all abatement mm. on pretty much any trajectory that is going to help us deal with climate change. So it's, it's a huge part of the solution. And I guess our frustration and, and probably each of your frustrations over the last however many years has been that energy efficiency has consistently been one of those things that is an obvious solution but never gets the scale of attention that it deserves. Um, One person from government told us a little while ago um, that the the ugly duckling of energy efficiency might be about to have its swan moment. Mm. Uh, And, you know, that was encouraging. We've been putting a lot of effort into trying to uh, convince the state government that energy efficiency was a, a smart stimulus to be focusing on. Uh, but to be honest, you know, in direct answer to your question, wasn't quite anticipating just how beautiful that swan was going to be. Um, <laughs> you know, in some ways, the, the specific solutions aren't surprising because mm. we've known what those are. Um, you know, there was a housing summit organised by uh, Energy Consumers Australia and, uh, you know, it had a range of academics, uh, advocacy groups, policymakers in there. And everyone's like, yeah, we all know what the solutions for household energy are. Um, There's no disagreement on that. The question is just making it happen. And I think over the years, we've seen a few too many, you know, pilot projects, small scale projects. 
Uh, and what was really refreshing about this uh, was the scale. Yep. Um, you know, an order of magnitude greater than the types of things we've seen in the past. Um, and I think it's not before time, uh, but it's certainly very welcome. It certainly feels like a confluence of circumstances have come together to really elevate energy efficiency's role in, both in decarbonisation but also in economic recovery. Um, it's almost like, you know, the overnight success that has been, we felt, well, if we asked Alan Pierce, he'd probably say it's been 40 years coming. <laughs> I was going to say 20, but actually there's been people banging on about this for, for much longer than that. But um, as you say, Nick, there was the, the, the evidence base is incredibly strong. The solutions are well understood. Um, plenty of evidence both from here in Australia, but importantly around the world about what can be achieved, but with uh, a focus and, and dedication from, from government working with the private sector to do, to do some of these upgrades at, at scale. And, and we know for, for states around the country... Uh, that have committed to net zero, that this is a absolutely crucial tool in the toolbox to get us there, right? And to get us there in a way that's cost effective to get then to bring the community community along, along with us. Um, and so, you know, while it's um it, it's a challenging period, um, obviously the focus is on economic recovery at the minute. Um, the fact that energy efficiency is able to to play play its part in all the things we knew it could be good at, as well as restarting the Vic, the Victorian economy, is um is incredibly Heartening. I mean, I, th- I think one of the really interesting points there is, um, you know, the, the economic benefits, like, you know, Kelly, you mentioned earlier as well, the, the jobs question. I think one of the great things about energy efficiency is just how fundamentally local the jobs are. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't offshore an energy efficiency job because it involves someone going to a house in every corner of the state uh, to do the work. Yep. Um, you know, you don't, you don't ship in experts from out of town. Like it's, it's a range of trades in every corner of the state. And, and it, I mean, that's an excellent point, Nick. It's really localised, but, but it also helps not just in the, those uh, trades involved in the implementation, but, you know, also our manufacturing sector and our retail sector. So it's stimulating across a number of parts of the economy. It's, it's it's absolutely true, and and this is one of the reasons why um, you know when we talk our friends at uh, say Australian Industry Group to to name one they're, they're they're strong supporters of the idea that a core part of Australia's economic recovery should should be building upgrades because it's going to have a whole bunch of benefits for those people people in the buildings and and and, and for the energy system. Also, it's going to stimulate the the building product manufacturing sector within Australia and give them a pipeline of work. Talking to friends internationally, um, absolutely crucial in terms of the laser-like focus that energy efficiency has had in a stimulus context around the world. And you can look at investments in Canada and Denmark and and France in particular, I think is on the top of the leaderboard, but also the UK. And, you know, we'll see what happens in in the US, but certainly the Biden uh, administration, the incoming administration, um, uh, has put energy efficiency stimulus at the heart of of its climate and stimulus agenda. So, Luke, I was just going to say, I just also want to give a bit of credit to Environment Victoria. Environment Victoria initiated the One Million Home Alliance many years ago um, to be working on advocacy around this work, and they've worked quite closely with, you know, some of the social sectors, so VCOS, for example, um, Uniting, um, as well as academics um, and, and other sectors to be having this conversation with the Victorian government over many years and, you know, so um, it's it's really great for those organisations to see that really solid policy and advocacy work pay off. Yeah, thanks, Kelly. I mean, I'm certainly not going to claim all the credit for 
uh, well, certainly not for this announcement, but also the the work that the One Million Homes Alliance has done over the last ten or twelve years. Yeah, I mean, yes, Environment Victoria has been working for I'd say at least a decade on on energy efficiency, and I think to be honest, uh, amongst even sort of the environment and climate groups, we've been relatively unique in that sense that you know there has been this big focus on on renewables and other parts of the climate energy challenge, and not without good reason, right? Um, but certainly the work that we've done on energy efficiency over the years, uh, you know, it's it's felt at the time uh, a little bit, um, not, not, not so much thankless, but, you know, you feel like you're really grinding up against this sort of big challenge. And what was really great about the One Million Homes Alliance was just having that, exactly that, what you were saying, Kelly, like that diversity of views. So, you know, working with Energy Efficiency Council and VCOS and, um, Tenants Victoria, um, Consumer Advocacy Law Centre, like so many really different perspectives in that alliance, I think was what gave it its strength was that it mm. wasn't just greenies calling for, you know, better light globes and more insulation. It was like, this was coming from all different sectors representing a whole bunch of different constituencies and making the case together. Um, and, you know, some of the stuff that, that we've seen announced in the last couple of days uh, you know, really, we would have liked to have seen it announced a couple of years ago. I mean, you know, the minimum standards for rental properties in particular was something that we felt should have happened a couple of years ago, much more clearly when the Residential Tenancies Act was amended. Uh, you know, still great to see it happen now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this from a you know, and this is not to take away from any of the hard work that bureaucrats and others have done within government to get such a big package over the line. Um, but it, but Tuesday's announcement from an advocate's perspective does feel like the culmination of, you know, 10 years worth of work. And Luke and Kelly, I'm sure you probably both feel the same. Well, I think it's a really important point. I, there is a little kind of efficiency nerd party going on this week because <laughs> we, we don't get wins on this scale very often or we haven't in the past. Maybe that will change over time. But um, we, we're, having, we're having a moment of, um, you know, just being so pleased that the, the things that we're, we're so passionate about um, have, have actually got there, as we said, their, their, their moment in the sun. Um, I, you know, really want to acknowledge all the hard work um, from people within, um, obviously, uh, the department in the Victorian government, also the minister's office and the minister herself and the premier um, in terms of actually championing championing this and championing not just the stimulus component of this, but the, the, the reform element. Mm. Um, that's what I was in some ways as impressed by as the as the dollar figure is is actually um, the foresight to be able to say you know what this is actually fundamental reform that is going to set up a whole set of outcomes that we care about for for, for the next decade and beyond and so I don't think we can understate the the leadership of Victoria in this space it is um, it is hard as a government to to go first uh, on some of these issues and we've seen that as the, the governments have, have come to realize that they need to be quite proactive in in kind of shaping the energy transition that we're all working our way through um, and Victoria has a bit of a history actually of of being if not at the front of the pack very close to the front of the pack um, and I think we're seeing seeing that again on on the energy efficiency agenda and I, I just applaud them I'd that is not to take away from any of the hard work 
that um, that has been done by a whole whole range of of advocates uh, in Victoria and and around the country. And I was I was kind of you know putting together a a, a member update um, earlier in the week, and I, I found my I found myself typing the words energy efficiency movement, which is not, which is not something I've ever I've ever sort of called it before, even thought to call it before. But I think it's actually true when you look at the the hot the broad range of particularly industry players that we work with now, and when you look at what's happening with the with the, with the work you leave, Nick, in, in terms of the um, the One Million Homes campaign, when you look at your work, Kelly, with the Healthy Affor- Affordable Homes Alliance, and then you, you've got you know, the Australian Sustainable Built Environment Council, all of these players coming together with a very clear message for government, uh, almost overwhelming and, and, a, and, a, and a little bit of shock on my part, sort of back in May when you looked at the the unions and the business groups and the environment groups and all the people that came out in that joint statement in May and say, you know what, um, we're, we're in trouble and, and there's one thing that we all agree on, it's is that it would be incredibly smart for for governments to back in energy efficiency as a as kind of a core part of our economic recovery. Um, so I think I don't know. We, am I am I getting overexcited in a in a, in a big week to call it a movement, uh, Nick Kelly? Uh, I'm always a bit reluctant to call anything a movement. Um, I feel like that sort of connotes a, a level of you know self-sustaining momentum that, that maybe this doesn't have. Uh, mm. But but I mean I think your your broader point is absolutely spot on that there is just this enormous enormously broad support for this. Uh, and on the one hand, you know that that sort of brings out some frustration that we haven't seen this type of thing up mm. until now mm. and. You know, perhaps that just goes to show what governments now see as being possible uh, in the context of COVID. Um, but also to your point, Luke, around it's often hard to go first. Uh, you know, I think the announcement on Tuesday shows how to play and win the politics of this kind of thing as well. And in the same way that Matt Keane did a pretty great job up in New South Wales a few weeks ago in terms of playing the politics of the whole coal renewables transition. I think Victoria has just done that on energy efficiency. We're just saying, look, this is how you do it. And to some of us, it's really not a surprise because we've seen who the winners are from energy efficiency and it is everyone. Hmm. Uh, Like unless your business is selling coal, you're pretty much a winner from energy efficiency. And if your business is selling coal, I don't really care about whether you're having a hard time or not. You know, and I think that's perhaps how we managed to get some of those policy reform things announced at the same time as the budgetary measures. So, you know, most of the budgetary measures have gone to uh, like appliance replacements, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and to see in there, like in the media release, yes, you know, we're also committing funding to to get things ready to move to a seven star standard. Uh, the the rental reforms. Um, you know, those could have been left out, but it, it makes sense as a package. Yep. Um, you know, and, and, you know, we, we've still got a consultation process to go through on those rental standards. Um, I'm sure we'll see, you know, all sorts of tears from the landlords. Um, that hasn't gone particularly well for them on Twitter based on what I've seen so far. But yeah, like it's the, the scale, the scale and, and breadth of the winners from energy efficiency just feels like it, it's, you know, I, th- I think this will carry the day and I think we'll see more of this around the country. I think Rob Murray-Leach has described to me in the past that p- part of the problem, and you've talked about the ugly duckling, Nick, is that energy efficiency isn't sexy, whereas I think the Victorian government announcement's bringing sexy back. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's maybe dig into some of the detail. Um, the One Million Homes um, push 
uh, Nick, uh, is, is a uniquely Victorian campaign. Um, I think that's been um, incredibly decisive into into building the the profile and and also the sophistication, the conversation in this state in particular around some of these some of these issues. Um, and so, I, I guess when you look at look down your your list of asks, um, the things that um, that 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 coalition um, uh, that we're a part of as well have been um, requesting the the Victorian government. Uh, Act on. Uh, how, how are you doing? How are you feeling uh, about how many boxes have been ticked and, and how much progress has been made? Uh, I mean, it's certainly ticking a lot of the boxes. Um, I mean, as an alliance, we put out a, a, a roadmap uh, for sustainable for sustainable housing through 2025. Um, you know, and some of the key planks of that were raising standards, and we've seen you know the government's basically just committed to that for both. Uh, new builds, we've been talking about Seven Star and also the standards for rental properties, um, facilitating finance. Um, I don't think there was a much specific mention of facilitating finance, you know, in terms of leveraging private capital um, within this announcement. But, you know, as COVID has enabled, it's, we are in an environment now where governments can just lean much more heavily on just putting public money into things like this. Um, so, you know, that's a, a way of facilitating finance, I suppose. Um, another key plank that we were talking about is, is providing advice. And, you know, the state government has had, uh, what do they call them, um, uh, energy hubs or something like that. And there was one in Latrobe Valley, one in Bendigo and Ballarat. But it was, it was quite contained to supporting um, like community energy projects and it wasn't really providing the, the broader set, like focal point for advice to just people who want to know what to do with their homes to upgrade. To upgrade. Um, so there's probably still a, a piece of work to be done there. Then the final plank is about delivering targeted programs mm-hmm. and um, – you know, that's recognizing that if you want to do all the retrofitting in the world, you can't really, you probably don't really want to put that on the budget on a state government balance sheet just because mm. of how much it would cost. And that's where the, the leveraging finance comes in. Um, but you will still need those targeted programs. And that's particularly for more vulnerable homes, yep. uh, for low income, for public housing, you know, and that's one of the great things about this program, this package announced on Tuesday is it, you know, this is not, no one can criticize this as middle class welfare because it is being targeted to, um, you know, a big chunk of it going to public or social housing, a big mm. chunk of it going to um, uh, lower income homes, supporting rental standards. Um, so, you know, it, it is ticking a lot of the boxes. Um, you know, I think there's some other parts that are probably in the works, but not necessarily getting mentioned in pre-budget media releases, uh, you know, there, there needs to be some industry development to make sure that we can scale up yep. uh, installations uh, as much as possible. Um, uh, you know, this announcement is, was, as I said earlier, really focused on uh, upgrading appliances. And we know that, you know, heating uh, and hot water appliances in particular are a big part of our problem in terms of, you know, in terms of gas consumption, also in terms of cost of, of running a household. Uh, what we didn't see outside of the public housing announcement uh, was building shell upgrades. Mm. Um, and so there's possibly some more to do there. Uh, obviously, the, the rental standards will play a role there. Yep. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, that, that's, that's tinkering around the edges a little bit. Um, we, you know, just acknowledge it. Tuesday's announcement doesn't mean we can all pack up and go home. 
but certainly it, it's made, it's been an enormous game changer uh, for, for many Victorians really, you know, this is going to mo- noticeably improve the lives of hundreds of thousands of Victorians. And the, and the thing I'm really excited about in the in the context of the Victorian economy in particular is, um, you know, you flag the the fact that there's there's likely to be an industry development element of this, building out the skills base, but also, you know, we have well skilled people. It's about expanding that capacity in the market, not just to deliver this program, but to start to create that um, really um, uh, sophisticated ecosystem of products and services that is addressing this market and that uh, other Victorians can then take advantage of and there's an, there's an incredible opportunity for for this program to to have a have a um, a lasting legacy on that front and, and and one that can be built on with uh, successive policy and also enabling a whole bunch of um, uh, market activity and business models that uh, that kind of exist but are very much a niche in in the Victorian market at the minute. If you like First Fuel, you'll love the Energy Efficiency Council's National Energy Efficiency Conference, delivered virtually from the 24th to the 26th of November 2020. This year's conference features an unprecedented lineup of global experts like former European Commissioner for Climate Action, Connie Hedegaard, and the International Energy Agency's Dr. Brian Motherway, as well as local leaders like Billy D'Ambrosio, Matt Keane, Shane Rattenbury, Dan Van Holst Pelikan, Angus Taylor, Mark Butler, Sally Stegel, and many more. Listen into your favourite speakers live and catch up on the recordings of other sessions later. To find out more, visit eec.org.au forward slash conference. Kelly, um, you've got a, a national view of these issues. Um, do you want to just talk about that national context and, and where this fits in and, and perhaps what the, the prospects might be for, uh, for, for this uh, announcement from the Victorian government to I- inspire or catalyse activity in other places around Australia? You mentioned earlier the Healthy Affordable Homes Coalition, uh, which which formed probably about two years ago off the back of um, some of the work that Nick mentioned around the Energy Consumers Australia Summit and the work that the former COAG Energy Council were doing around um, trajectory for zero carbon homes. Mm. Um, and that focus at the time for COAG was, was on new builds, which is absolutely important um Mm. but one of the things we noted is that the majority of homes are existing homes and Mm. the standards of those homes particularly in australia compared to other developed countries is quite poor so i think you know it's something like um the average home is about 1.7 star compared to um the current six star rating and what we're hoping in future will be much higher, you know, seven, seven and a half stars going forward. So you can see there's a huge gap there um, and something like, you know, nine and a half million homes. And in particular for the constituents, the people that ACOS um, represents, um, so people on low income or experiencing disadvantage, they often find themselves in those homes, whether they own them um, or or rent them, whether they're in Mm. public housing, community housing or private housing, uh, often in those poor, efficient homes. Um, And it means that it costs them a lot of money to, you know, to heat their home in winter or cool their home in summer to cook. Um, And what we find is that people are either 
depriving themselves of energy, so not cooling their home in heat waves, mm. um, not cooking, not using stoves, um, not use, having hot showers, etc., so that they can afford their energy bill or um, they, or they you know, need to do it for health reasons um, and they end up in significant energy debt or in some cases homeless because they've prioritised paying an energy bill over, over rent. So, you know, the consequences of living in an inefficient home for a lot of people are quite significant. Um, we in Australia have more people that die of heat waves than any other natural disaster combined in Australia. And mm. weirdly, especially in the southern states, have more people dying of the cold than mm. we do in some of the northern European countries, which, you know, just makes my mind boggle. So, you know, it it can be life and death for some people living yeah. in these homes as well. So, you know, the co- our coalition formed because we we really wanted to see, um, you know, national change around improving the energy efficiency and energy productivity. So, you know, as we mm-hmm. transition to a cleaner economy and more decentralised energy, ensuring that people have access to things like rooftop solar to help them um, with energy affordability as well and you know as Nick talked about one million homes we our coalition um, includes not just the social sector but the housing sector the environment sector researchers um, and um, and more recently in a proposal we put together around economic stimulus um, brought in organizations like the Australian Industry Group the Property Council mm. um, and, and, you know, other surprising people that just say this absolutely makes sense is to improve the energy efficiency of, of building and that we should be targeting people on low income and experiencing disadvantage first and foremost. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, we've, we've been working together both in terms of the, the the COAG process around trajectory, um, but more recently coming out of COVID, put together this proposal um, about how we can stimulate jobs, have that economic recovery and support some of the most, most vulnerable people in our society. Um, and as I said, you know, it's just it ticks all those boxes um, mm. as well as tackling climate change. Um, so, you know, we... We're trying to encourage the federal government to co-invest in these sorts of programs so, you know, they can put some additional money on the table in Victoria to help, you know, tick some of those boxes that Nick talked about are still missing and deepen um, what the Victorian government has announced and then work with other states and territories to expand this program um, nationally. So, you know, we're targeting public housing, community housing, low-income homeowners, as well as low-income rental properties. Yeah, I think just to sort of extrapolate a little bit on that point around the value of the stimulus, um, you know, obviously the, the bigger the scale of these programs, the bigger the stimulus mm-hmm. effect, right? I mean, that's just like Captain Obvious kind of statement, but um, you know, that's where we as an environment group see the climate mm-hmm. benefits, right? Like if... Um, and, uh, you know, the, dis- the discussions we've had over the years through One Million Homes Alliance, you know, that, that always started out as being a thing that was focused on low-income homes. Um, 
And, you know, and that's obviously where the priority should be in terms of solving some of these household energy problems. From a climate perspective, you really need to start thinking about how do we get all the homes more efficient? Um, and, you know, Kelly was talking earlier about just the, you know, the need to perpetually improve, you know, new building standards, but also standards for existing buildings. Um, just because they are still the vast majority of our, our housing stock and it, it takes a long time for it to turn over. Um, you know, the, like the scale of the programs announced on Tuesday is, is kind of the, the clincher, you know, replacing the, the, the slice of the announcement that was the $335 million to replace heaters, <laughs> old gas, wooden electric heaters. Um, you know, that's 250,000 homes that are going to have their crappy old heater replaced. Yep. Like that's, that's not just your lowest income homes. Like that's going to reach into a lot of other ones as well. Um, we did, we commissioned some analysis earlier in the year around um, what kind of reduction in gas consumption would need to happen in Victoria in order to avoid the you know, forecast, uh, in order to avoid AMO's forecast gas shortfall that they're anticipating sort of in the mid 2020s. And in that report, the, the consultants, the energy efficiency consultants who did it, they were saying that there are 600,000 uh, gas heaters in Victorian homes that are 20 years old. So those heaters are costing those people an enormous amount of money to run, uh, wasting enormous amounts of gas. Um, you know, and we're about to get rid of, you know, 150, 200,000 of them. You know, I'm not exactly sure what the breakdown will be of gas versus wood or electric in terms of the heaters that we do replace. Um, you know, this is also a huge shift, not just from an energy efficiency perspective, but from an electrification mm -hmm. perspective. And that move towards electrification is going to be essential for continued efforts to decarbonize because you can't decarbonize gas. Um, I mean, yes, there'll be people talking about hydrogen, um, but, you know, the whole idea of zero emissions homes is, is really built around them just, you know, ideally not even having a gas connection. Um, and our take on that is it allows us to avoid environmentally damaging gas extraction projects or, you know, gas import terminals in Ramsar wetlands and things like that. So there's all sorts of like additional benefits that are coming from the, the scale of the announcement we've seen on Tuesday. I was just going to say the other benefit, Nick, of shifting to heat pumps as well as just a storage device as well for demand management. So it actually really helps with the whole energy system in terms of improving its reliability and reducing um, peak loads and, you know, having to do load shedding, for example, um, you know, in summer. So it actually ends up, um, you know, saving everybody uh, in, terms, in terms of the costs that we're currently having to put into the system due to peak, peak demand. So there's, there's other mm. benefits from this as well that, you know, um, it is really heartening. Yeah, and this might be going into other points of the energy transition, which I know is not the focus of the podcast, Luke, but, um, you know, having electric heat pumps uh, effectively acting as a, a solar sponge in the middle of the day, mm. um, you know, is, a, is a, another kind of storage. And I just saw the Essential Services Commission's proposing to cut the feed-in tariff, uh, the solar feed-in tariff in Victoria from $0.10 cents down to $0.07, cents, um, you know, which... I can see how they get there from various reasons. And we do have this massive excess of solar in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. So, 
as that feed-in tariff falls, there'll be increased incentive to self-consume that solar and you know batteries is one, but charging your hot water, your heat, electric heat pump hot water in the middle of the day is obviously another one. As much as anything else, in terms of electrification, um, you've got the um, uh, the reality that it, it's going to be harder for lower income earners to uh, to electrify, to to retrofit those um, those appliances, and so there's a real risk. And we're seeing this actually um, in some of the research that's coming out of places like California that have a really quite an explicit kind of uh, agenda around electrification, which we don't really have here in Australia at, at this point. Uh, concerns around uh, effectively. Uh, lower income earners being being stra- stranded on the gas grid as as, as higher income earners electrify, um, yeah. uh, and so that in in some ways one could see um, uh, this Victorian announcement of starting to get ahead of some of that, um, yeah. and also as much as anything else, um, as we touched on before, uh, building out the skills, uh, the supply chains, um, uh, the the expertise and capacity in the market to to be able to drive, you know, a, a larger scale of retrofits and upgrades down the track, um, and so it's a it's a fantastic down down payment on what those of us that think deeply about this space sort of suspect will need to happen over the next ten or ten or fifteen years um, to really to really uh, drive the the transition that um, the government says what it wants to occur over the next five ten and ultimately ultimately 30 years um on that point be, of, sorry there'll be, session, there'll be a session at your conference next week Luke. Oh, what a plug what a plug <laughs> funny you bring that up and 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 who, who might be speaking in that session kelly <laughs> which i'll be speaking about and oh, yeah. yes, talking about that transition for for peak on low income and disadvantage so you know vcos and acos and, and our members are really turning our head to that in addition to the energy efficiency space as well Mm. National Energy Efficiency Conference taking place from the 24th to the 26th of uh, November, uh, kicking off next Tuesday. Um, and I might say, Kelly, that um, obviously you're speaking in that session, which is fabulous, but we've also got the the Minister of the Moment, uh, Energy Environment Minister Lily D'Ambrosio, kicking off the conference uh, for us this year. So we're really looking forward to her, her insights uh, after what has been a, a very big Big week for her and her government in the energy, in the energy efficiency space. All right, uh, just on this issue of scale that um, that that you you both raised, but particularly you, Nick, um, I, I've been watching with interest the conversation in Europe around the the so called renovation wave. We had um, Adrian Joyce from from Renovate Europe on the, on on this podcast um, back on episode eleven, talking about the campaign that had been running there for for ten years to to really to really drive a significant uptick uptick in in renovation activity. You uh, and making it a core part of Europe's energy transition. You've now got the European Commission sort of committing to this goal of um, uh, accelerating the rate of, of renovations for energy performance improvement from from one percent to two percent a year. Um, and there's advocates um, um, over in, in Europe, uh, friends I stay in touch with, which who would say, well, actually, that, that's not even ambitious enough. We need to get it to 3% to have any hope of, of kind of decarbonising the building sector at the, at the rate that we need to. Is there an argument for saying, well, looking at looking at that as a superset of the kind of conversations we're having now and, 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 and for governments, whether it be state or federal, starting to think about at how they drive that sort of transformation, the kind of transformation that's being contemplating, contemplated in, in Europe to really unlock the mitigation potential in the building sector. Um, who wants to have a crack at that? I have a 
first go of that because I guess one of the one of the arguments that we're making for direct government investment in a national low income energy efficiency energy productivity program is as as we talked about before you can use that to develop the skills of the industry and the supply chains um, that will be needed to then roll this out more broadly with private investment to other types of households and support the implementation of um, mandatory energy efficiency rental standards. So, you know, I think I think through the trajectory process, the government, the, the federal and state and territory governments do have a mind to, you know, getting to this zero trajectory for existing homes and they will need a program to do it. And for yeah. us directly investing in low-income homes over the next four years, you know, really does help drive what comes next. Yeah, I mean, I'd just add, I think that's all spot on. Uh, And I'd add to that, it just sort of shows how ridiculous the Morrison government's um, renovation stimulus a couple of months ago was, right? Like to be putting that much money on the table, making it available for renovations and to not require any kind of energy efficiency component to it just seemed like a spectacularly wasted opportunity. Um, more broadly in terms of just how we build energy efficiency into our construction sector. And, and I, mean, I think there's a real shortfall in how we, you know, Melbourne is a, a real estate obsessed city. Um, and I think discussions of energy efficiency have been woefully absent from that, you know, we mm-hmm. talk about, oh, well, has, has it got a marble bench top? And it's like marble <laughs> bench tops are nice, but it's, you know, it's not going to save you a thousand dollars a year, like energy efficiency will. Mm. We actually did a, a piece of work. Um, well, it started just before lockdown and we had to shift to doing these surveys by phone during lockdown. Um, with our volunteers, we were surveying real estate agents um, posing as house hunters to ask real estate agents what they knew about the energy performance of the homes that they were selling or renting out, you know, like, Oh, can you tell me how many, what the efficiency star rating of this is, or, you know, can you point to any energy efficiency um, things in this home? Uh, And it was predictable, but just spectacularly disappointing about how, little real estate agents know about the energy performance of the homes that they're selling and and renting out. Hmm. And it, you know, it just sort of highlights um, how, how not front and center it is for so many people. Uh, There's a catch 22 there, right? Like real estate agents don't provide the info because people aren't asking about it, but people don't ask about it because they don't necessarily understand the benefits. So, you know, there's, and this is part of the the discussion that Kelly's talked about in terms of the coag trajectory, this idea of disclosure of, yep. you know, do we need to put more effort into just telling people, like, if you rent this house, I mean, you know, ideally you have minimum standards, so you don't have to worry about it so much. But you know, if you buy this house, it is potentially going to cost you X thousand dollars a year to run, or it is this many star rating. Like, it gives people more information Um at that precise moment when they're making choices about their housing 
their housing situation. Mm. Look, I think that's, I'm so glad that we got to that point because it is probably the biggest piece of the puzzle that, that remains to, to work through. Obviously, in Victoria, um, there is the residential energy efficiency scorecard, a voluntary scorecard, but, but really, I think I'd be right in saying that the three of us would uh, be furiously agreeing that what we need is a, a national mandatory um, disclosure regime around energy performance um, that applies to both owner-occupier and, and and rental. It's it's got to be mandatory. If if it's voluntary, you'll get the good people advertising, but mandatory will flush out the really poor performing houses, and that's where you want to be applying the pressure to to improve. Um, ACOS and our members agree as well, uh, and making it mandatory also deals with the potential for rent increases as well. If it's voluntary, Mm. you're just getting some properties that are improving and then increasing their rent as a result of that. If everyone's improving because it's mandated, um, then, you know, you're still... You, you still have the same market that you're renting into as well, so you're less likely to see those hikes in, in rents. All right, well, Nick Kelly, we're out of time. I, I reckon we could talk about all this for another hour, but I, I just wanted to congratulate both of you. I think this is a win for the Victorian government. It's a win for Minister D'Ambrosio, but it's also a, a major milestone for, for all of us that have, as I think uh, our Head of Policy, Rob Murray Leach, said the other day, been banging our head up against the brick wall for however many years. <laughs> it's it, 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 we, we, I think we can certainly say we, we played some part in creating an enabling environment that made this announcement possible and, and hopefully um, it is the, it's the first of many and, uh, and a sign of a, of, of a changing tide and an embrace of energy efficiency roles in the energy transition. So, so thank you, Kelly. Oh, no worries. And, you know, really thanks to VCOS and, and our other Victorian-based members like Brotherhood of St. Lawrence and United Communities and others that have been working alongside Nick and uh, other members of the One Million Alliance to get this done. Mm-hmm. And thank you, Nick, for all your efforts as well. No, I think you're right there, Luke. It's, you know, the role that we play here is to create an enabling environment um, and, Sometimes it takes longer than you want it to, but uh, that's that's campaigner life, I suppose. Um, you know, you're talking about who this is a win for, and you know, let's not understate the fact that this is you know a massive win for about half a million Victorians yep. who, you know, within a couple of years are going to have much lower energy bills. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a much more mm-hmm. comfortable uh, temperature in their lounge rooms. Um, and will feel better for the fact that they're not contributing as much to climate change. So, you know, I think, that, you know, I mentioned earlier about the, the politics of this. I, th- I think there's an enormous, an enormously positive story to tell about announcements like this, which is precisely why I think we'll start seeing more and more of them, you know, around the country. Yeah, absolutely. Here, here. All right. Well, uh, that wraps up this episode of First Fuel. Um, but if you want to hear more about this announcement and much more of the science, uh, you should absolutely check out the National Energy Efficiency Conference next week featuring exports like Kelly Court. Um, and you can visit eec.org.au forward slash conference to get your ticket. In the meantime, if you have comments, you can find us on Twitter. Kelly is at Kelly Court. Nick is at Nick Burl, And my handle is at Luke Menzel. And to keep up to date on the latest in energy efficiency, energy management and demand response, you can follow the Energy Efficiency Council on Twitter at EE Council. If Twitter is not your thing, you can email the team. The address is firstfuel at ec.org.au. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to First Fuel in your podcast app of choice. 
And of course, many episodes like this one are broadcast as they're recorded, so you can jump on Zoom and listen in live for a full listing of upcoming recording times. Visit aec.org.au forward slash podcasts. But for now, it's goodbye from us, and we'll catch you soon. And we're out. <laughs> we do have seven minutes for questions. Are you guys good for another seven minutes? Yeah. Beauty. All right. I haven't been looking at this at all. So let's see. What do we got here? So Felicia loves the uh, analogy, the ugly duckling to the swan. So uh, good work to you there, Nick. Wasn't my line. I was just reproducing someone else's line. <laughs> I think you must have been talking to, I don't know if the same public servant or another public servant, because uh, I, I heard that also being uh, described as Cinderella's time to go to the ball. <laughs> If, if we need, uh, you know, cheesy metaphors to get us over the line, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.